What's takeout the trash day? Friday. I mean, what is it? Any stories we have to give the press that we're not wild about, we give them all in a lump on Friday. Why do you do it on Friday? Because no one reads the paper on Saturday. But we do. I'm Yael Grauer. And I'm Trevor Holtner. And this is the Monday Morning Dumpster Dive. On Friday, the Senate Intelligence Committee released the text of a bill that would reauthorize Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Section 702 allows for surveillance of foreign intelligence targets overseas, but it ends up targeting Americans indirectly when they have conversations with non-Americans overseas. Due to this so-called incidental collection, Americans' emails, chats, and VoIP calls end up in a database. That data is accessible to domestic law enforcement officials like NSA and FBI. Accessing Americans' communications that would otherwise require a warrant in this way is called a backdoor search. Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Here is his summary of some of the concerns with Section 702. Right. I mean, so the, the concern that's been raised here, right, is, is from the intelligence community's perspective, they say, look, when we do a wiretap, there is, of course, two ends of that. And so if we're wiretapping someone and it happens to pick up someone who is not a target, um, that's just incidental collection. And we are free to use whatever we pick up in that way without you know, getting some additional warrant to look at this information we've already collected. That's their argument. And the reason civil libertarians have a problem with this is that if you just compare it to, for example, an ordinary criminal investigation wiretap, so-called Title III wiretap, normally the way this works is in a criminal investigation, you would have an individual or a company maybe that is the target of a search warrant, so their phone would be tapped. And then that wiretap would be minimized in real time, meaning someone is listening when calls are connected on the line that's been targeted. And then the judge, again, the judge has found probable cause to believe that that line is going to use evidence of some specific crime. Uh, and then as a government agent is, is listening, if they find after the first few, first minute essentially of a call that it's not pertinent to the investigation, they effectively shut down the recording. So if they've got either uh, wiretapping Tony Soprano's house and his wife calls her gynecologist, they're supposed to pretty promptly stop recording so they're not picking up this irrelevant material. Julian says that it seems inappropriate that this bill was marked up and voted on in a closed session. It means that the committee is discussing classified rationale for changes in a bill without providing public visibility for what the rationale behind that was. The bill will ultimately be voted on by Congress, most of whom will not have the same type of access. Even doing an open session doesn't necessarily preclude that the rationale for a particular provision is something that's not known to the general public. All the same, you know, the process of crafting legislation, the crafting text that is going to actually become law, seems like, you know, as a general rule, it's, it's bad to set the precedent that says, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to structure this bill in a certain way for reasons we'll discuss among ourselves. But everyone else who's voting on it, let alone the public, um, is not going to be privy to our reasoning for uh, supporting or opposing these particular provisions or these changes. Section 702 is set to expire at the end of the year. There are actually two other bills that have been introduced to renew it. The bill we're discussing now does not require the FBI to obtain warrants to query names of U.S. persons, but it does ask them to notify a court after the fact. Then the court can determine whether there's a Fourth Amendment issue or not. So it addresses, or appears to address, um, the issue of uh, querying U.S. person identifiers in that database, uh, which is supposed to be based on tasking collection on foreign targets. What this does is, whereas the other two bills, to varying you know, to varying degrees, require a a warrant 
to query US person names or to get results, content results, based on queries of US person names, at least in criminal investigations. Uh, what this does instead is say, when the FBI does queries, so not an NSA or CIA, but when FBI does uh, queries in the database using US person identifiers, uh, it's not that they have to go to the court in advance and get a warrant. Instead, it's that uh, they have to notify after the fact that uh, they have to keep a record. And that's actually an improvement. So they have to keep some kind of record uh, when they uh, when they get content based on queries of, of, of U.S. person identifiers. But then the court sort of reviews after the fact whether there's any sort of Fourth Amendment issue here. Um, and then returns a, a response to the FBI director. And if they find that the was somehow not consistent with the Fourth Amendment, then that information can't be used in a, in, a, in a court, in a criminal proceeding. Unfortunately, after the fact, assessment of queries isn't the type of change to 702 that privacy advocates and civil libertarians were looking for. At first glance, it may appear to address the backdoor search issue, but in reality, it doesn't actually limit queries in a meaningful way. I, I would not expect anything but a sort of cursory, short opinion response to this saying, uh, there's nothing of Fourth Amendment significance here. That's very different than a requirement that, you know, they make some kind of finding of probable cause before permitting someone's email or other digital communication to be accessed, um, as opposed to just after the fact saying, under current doctrine, you don't need probable cause, is what they would ultimately say, because querying this database is not a new Fourth Amendment search. I think that is the predictable outcome. And so the the section that's been added here is sort of a way of pretending that you are addressing the backdoor search concern, but in a way that sort of structurally is guaranteed to have no effect. If nothing else, the bill does require the tracking of queries, which can help us understand the scale of the effect of Section 702 on the privacy rights of Americans. It will provide an estimate of just how many Americans are swept up in this massive archive of warrantlessly collected communications. It's getting reauthorized on the basis of these assurances that it's, you know, it's very important to and provide security benefits. but without any sense of what the privacy impact is. How many Americans are in there? How often are you looking up Americans' communications? Um, it, this authority that's supposed to be about foreign intelligence. And that's information we haven't had, and information that uh, the FBI has essentially been allowed to get away with not having to report how often uh, they even use uh, uh, U.S. person identifiers to query the database. And so it does look like there is a an addition here, uh, essentially saying that there, there has to be a some some kind of count made of how often at least they're obtaining by U.S. persons using U.S. person identifiers. That would be a little step forward in terms of understanding the, the likely privacy impacts of this. Um, though it doesn't be the bigger picture, not just how many queries are done, but uh, you know how many Americans are in that database waiting to be looked at in the future. Even if Section 702 somehow managed to only target foreigners, Julian agrees that it's problematic to treat everyone outside our borders as if they are criminals by default. The statute doesn't even require that they be believed to be engaged in terrorism or espionage or any kind of wrongful conduct. Um, they just have to believe that spying on this person's email is likely to produce foreign intelligence information. Uh, and foreign intelligence information is defined 
very broadly. This is another another issue that civil libertarians, in particular people who are interested in sort of international human rights, have tried to push for, uh, which is you know, the definition of foreign intelligence, the purpose for which they're allowed to, to, to spy on people, um, includes a lot of the kind of things you'd expect, you know, information involved with defending the United States against terrorism or espionage, um, you know, stuff that's I think, not particularly controversial, but there's also a, uh, a definition of foreign intelligence that includes anything that essentially bears on the, uh, the foreign affair, the conduct of foreign affairs of the United States. So essentially almost any information about any foreign political group or any major foreign company, anything that, anything that bears in any way on the U.S. understanding what's happening around the world that may uh, enhance its ability to conduct foreign affairs uh, falls within that kind of catch-all definition. Um, and that's sort of problematic because it does it does essentially mean, at least as far as the statute is concerned, um, almost anyone could be a target. There are more specific authorizations that the FISC signs off on that may limit more what kind of people can be targets. But at the sort of statute level, almost anyone could be uh, a target. And so, yeah, we are we are in a sense uh, treating people as criminals, or at least treating people as as having no privacy rights that we need to respect as the default. If you're outside the U.S., um, your email is an open book to us as long as an NSA analyst decides uh, that you are interesting, that you're like. Uh, so yeah, I absolutely agree uh, that um, for a, a variety of sort of practical and political reasons, we have focused very heavily in the discussion of this on uh, queries that focus on Americans, on what happens to the communications of Americans, uh, people who have rights under the Fourth Amendment, people who vote in elections. Um, but you know, a, a second issue with this is essentially how cavalierly it treats the privacy rights of, of foreigners. So is this a Friday news dump? Well, I'll put it this way. The fact that they had the markup in closed session suggests that they were not, you know, not, not happy to invite scrutiny of exactly what they were doing. So I think, yeah, the fact that they then chose to, um, to have this drop on a, a, a Friday, right before Halloween, people are taking their kids after trick-or-treating, um, yeah, uh, suggests uh, a, a, an eagerness to kind of uh, plow forward with this without having, uh, having it jump up too high on the radar. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think, yes, this was, this was a Friday news dump in the sense that um, the folks, the folks at the Intel Committee, uh, don't really want to change very much. They want to change as little as they have to, and the less public attention to this they have, the likelier they are to be able to sort of ram through a uh, uh, a reauthorization with few, if any, substantive changes. Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. I'm Trevor Holtner, and I'm Yael Grauer. We'll catch you next time on the Monday Morning Dumpster Dive. You can download this podcast on Apple Podcasts or listen to it on SoundCloud.